Welcome to the Purposeful Parent Podcast, a podcast for inspired parents. I'm Melissa. And I'm Kristen. I'm a parent of two little girls and the founder of Inner Architects. I love guiding parents and giving them a space to meaningfully connect, communicate effectively, break cycles, and learn to intentionally parent their kids. I'm an educator, a children's book author, and founder of Language Ninjas. With Language Ninjas and my books on the power of our words, parents and kids are given tools to empower their language. On this podcast, we are highlighting parents and educators who are choosing to mindfully show up differently for kids. Welcome to the Purposeful Parent Podcast. Today we are talking with Olivier Bernier. Olivier is an award-winning director and a father. Olivier develops, produces, and directs original content that aims to put a hyper-focus on the way we look at the world. And with his documentary, Forget Me Not, Olivier and his wife Hilda turn the camera on themselves to document their fight to have their son Emilio with Down syndrome included in the New York public school system. And so they're bringing light um, to inclusion in the classroom. And we're, Olivier, we're excited that you're here today. And thank you for talking with us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. And we'd love for you to tell us about about you and and your parenting journey as well. Sure. Um, well, like any parent expecting their first child, they don't really know what to expect. And I certainly didn't. But you have a, a picture of the child that you imagine is going to come meet you um, at birth. And that um, vision was quickly changed when we found out our son had Down syndrome in the delivery room. Um, so we learned about five minutes after he was born that he had Down syndrome and everything changed from then on because I was completely unprepared to have a son with Down syndrome. And quite frankly, I didn't know really what it meant to have Down syndrome. Um, and in a large part, that's because I had never met anyone with Down syndrome throughout my life. I'd never spent significant time with anyone that had a significant disability. And um, so, you know, in, in short, I was just completely unprepared for my son. And it, it took a while to um, kind of come to terms with that. Um, but as I did start to look at, you know, my my schooling, I realized that I had kind of been done a disservice by never having met anyone with a disability. Um, I went to a school of close to 3,000 people, and you would assume just statistically there was plenty of children that had learning differences, mm-hmm. and um, but they were hidden from us, and it, we never saw them. And that kind of sent me on the journey to learn about inclusive education, what it was, and would it be the right thing for Emilio? Yeah, and we, we were... T- Oh, yeah, we were talking before the uh, before we hit record too about how Melissa and I have both had some experience in education that way. But um, yeah, from from different sides of the fence, I guess, with special education or inclusive education even. But yeah, like you said, I I didn't have a lot of people that I ran into when I was growing up that had disabilities. And the people that I met that had Down syndrome actually were in a home um, living away from their families, too. So it wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't super inclusive. Yeah, my my experience is actually 
flip. So I have two parents that work. Well, my father was a, um, he worked at an alternative education high school. So it was mainly for students that got into trouble in the, in the regular public schools and then had to be at this other location. But there were also children with um, learning disabilities, behavior disabilities, things like that. Um, my mom was an early intervention specialist. So she, um, children with disabilities have just kind of been a huge part of my upbringing. Um, and, and so it's been something that I was um, interested in learning more about. And they were a little bit more, those, those students were a little bit more, um, I guess, present. I don't know if they were necessarily integrated into the classrooms that I was in, but they were definitely um, less hidden than it sounds like your, your guys' um, experience were. But when I went to, to college and I went for PE, for phys ed, and um, there was a track, like a, a minor that you could take specifically for adaptive PE. And I was so excited. I ran the adaptive PE swimming program at the college I went to. And I was a TA for the, you know, the labs that we had to do um, with individuals. So it was, um, they've always have a special place in my heart. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for this conversation and um, to hear more about your son and then what you've done um, to, to integrate more, because I think it is, um, it is an important piece of being being a member of society and and understanding just differences in general um but also being a parent specifically like talking to my daughters about you know if they see someone that's in a wheelchair or someone that is maybe acting differently or looks different um so yeah that's been a huge conversation with my kids as well so um yeah Olivia I'm I'm excited to hear more about your your personal story here mm-hmm. Yeah. And going off what you just said, I I think when Emilia was born, I felt like there was a 20 foot wall between me and people with disabilities where I didn't know how to interact with them, especially adults with disabilities. I just didn't, I didn't know. And, you know, growing up, you know, in the area I was raised, it was just seen as impolite to ask questions, which is odd, you know, because that's how we learn. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's one of my goals with the film and just in general is to kind of build a bridge between, um, you know, people that haven't met people with disabilities and, and people with disabilities. So. Yeah. Before we get into the film and what you're specifically doing with your son, um, I'd love to talk about, so we had another woman come on and she had twins and one twin was born perfectly fine. The other one had, it was um, some disfiguration on his face. And so he looked very different. And then now it has progressed into autism and other behavioral issues, lack of speech, things like that. Um, but when you learned that your son had Down syndrome, what was, she She had talked about kind of a cycle that she went through as a mom, you know, the grief, you know, expecting, like you mentioned, expecting a, a baby of one thing and then the uh, and something different comes out. Um, she went through a whole, you know, what's wrong with me? How come I couldn't produce a healthy baby? Things like that. Did you and your wife go through anything like that? I think it would be helpful if we have parents that do have children with disabilities or, you know, no parents that do. Um, to kind of understand what it feels like to be a parent with a child with a disability. Yeah, well, um, you know, it's it's really hard to talk about. Um, but, you know, when Amelia was born, it was some of the darkest days that I've ever experienced just yeah. because 
there was so much uncertainty and so much um, unpreparedness on my part. And yeah. what you said is exactly true. It's it's a grieving process because you're letting go of the child you were expecting to have and welcoming this new child at the same time. So there's so much learning happening so fast, um, you know, but I, you know, when, when Amelia was first born, our, our healthcare team wasn't decisive if he had on the, if he had down syndrome. So they, they said he showed five markers of down syndrome, but there was, they left kind of this hope that, Oh, maybe it's not down syndrome. Maybe it's something mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. And that was a little difficult in the first 24 hours, just because we were kind of holding out hope that it wasn't down syndrome. And, and I think that was kind of the wrong way to go about it. But at about 9 p.m. the day Emilio was born, the head geneticist of NYU Langham, the hospital he was born in, came to, to visit him. And he said something that I'll never forget. He said, first of all, he identified Emilio as having Down syndrome immediately. So that just put that to rest. It's like, okay, he has Down syndrome. Let's figure that this out. Let's go. Mm -hmm. um, but the second thing he said was that when he was born, his parents wouldn't know if he was going to be a doctor, the head geneticist of NYU, or if he would end up in rehab somewhere. And I think that point stuck with me forever is that we don't know what our children can be. And all we can do is love them and guide them and um, help them achieve their full potential. Yeah. So pretty, pretty early on, we were, um, I think, you know, there, listen, there was years of you know, questioning and are we doing the right thing? And that still happens daily is like, are we doing the right thing? Are we doing the best thing for him? Um, and we're constantly talking about it and trying to monitor that and and see what we could do better. Um, but I think, you know, from that moment on, we kind of were sent on a trajectory, like let's let's do what's best for Emilio. And and it quickly became apparent for us that to raise Emilio successfully we had to raise them like any other child we would have had which is you know bring them to swimming lessons bring them to do all these things in the park like have them included <laughs> you know so um that's kind of what set us on our path very cool and and how beneficial beneficial not only for emilio to be present for those activities but also for the other children right like we talked about before um and i will say I have two children that don't have disabilities and I question every day if I'm doing the right thing. So I don't know if that's, if that's specific. I think that's just a parenting thing. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, tell us more about, about, um, the movie, what prompted that, um, you know, what's been happening with Emilio in school that made you want to dive deeper into inclusion. Um, yeah. Give it, give us a little insight into that. Sure. Well, you know, first, before Emilio was born, I was a filmmaker. I have a production company, Rota 6, in New York. And um, we do a lot of branded work and documentary work. And naturally, I just always had a camera in my hand, so I was always filming. And in fact, um, as you, you'll see in the film, I uh, was filming the moment that we learned Emilio had Down syndrome. And I, I think that's something most people haven't seen before unless they have a child with Down syndrome. Um, so I filmed all these, I was just always filming Emilio, like any dad would really, um, just with fancier cameras. And, uh, you know, one day we saw this opportunity to, um, apply for a grant to make a film about inclusive education. And 
at the time my wife um, was staying at home with Emilio, but she was a special education teacher. And I said, well, this is interesting. Let's let's make a documentary. I want to learn more about inclusive education because Emilio's two and, you know, he's going to be going to school soon. He's going to leave early intervention. Um, so I started making this documentary with all the leading experts on inclusive education. And as we were making that documentary, we started to notice that Emilio was getting pushed towards segregation, a segregated setting, meaning a small special class that we're all familiar with. Um, and that's not what we wanted for Emilio. We we figured out pretty quickly that in order for our, us to achieve our goal of Emilio being included in society, that had to start with school because that's really a child's first entrance into society. So we, we started turning the cameras on ourselves and that's kind of how we ended up with the film we have today. Really cool. Yeah. And yeah, like we were saying earlier too, um, one thing Melissa and I again have two different um areas that we come from with school within the classrooms um with students and um for me I was a general education teacher of five-year-olds but um yeah having kids coming in wanting to be that teacher that can provide for kids of all kinds but not having been properly prepared for like this is how like this, these are the needs of this child who has autism and um, that you will need to, in order to be able to be successful for everybody, these are some things that you need. Like I learned a lot with the, from these kids and they are my greatest teachers. Yeah. I wasn't prepared for it. And yeah. And then Melissa um, got to be on it from the other side of the spectrum to help being the helper. Um, so yeah, Melissa, I'll let you reshare that. Yeah, yeah. So coming, so I taught adaptive PE, and then coming from um, that area of expertise, we would do both individual sessions or group sessions with you know multiple children with disabilities, um, and then we worked real hard to get them into the general education classes. And I was specifically phys ed, so. Um, it was a little bit easier, um, I think, than a gener than a than a like educational classroom would be, um, because it's okay. You guys are running the mile; we're going to walk together on the track, mm -hmm. or you guys are swimming; we're going to stand over here and learn to, you know, hand crawl on the wall. Or, um, and I was there with them, so it was very much in assisted. I was I was assisting into in like you know feeding off of what the general ed teachers were doing. Um, but I would imagine coming from the other side without that help, without that, the knowledge, without the, you know, if, if I didn't go to school for it and someone just handed me a child with disabilities, I would feel very overwhelmed. Um, now I am so grateful for that experience because now, you know, I, I taught for five years and then I moved on to owning a gym and watching people move, um, and teaching them how to move. And I used so much of what I did with the children like what I used to do with children, just with adults that had injuries or moved poorly, or, I mean, there, I was like, I'm so quick to adapt something um, and find it a different way. So it's been a very cool, cool way to have it kind of bleed out into the rest of my life um, in such a positive way. But yeah, I would imagine coming from the other side that it would be very overwhelming for, for teachers that aren't prepared for that. 
Yeah, we um, what you're describing from the phys ed sense is exactly when inclusion is working really well, that's exactly what happens in the classroom. Um, you know, I'm not sure if, uh, Kristen, if you had a universal design for learning approach to, to teaching, but, you know, it's essentially mm -hmm. that where it's, you're creating a, you know, a ramp for all learners. So mm -hmm. you know, not all learners might get to the top of the ramp, but they're get part of the way there. And, um, you know, that, the idea of a inclusion class that's working really well is that fact that you're teaching to the margins, not to the average student. So, um, when you do that, everybody in the middle gains from it. And, you know, one thing I like to, to talk about is that, you know, for classrooms to become more inclusive, it's really going to take parents of neurotypically developing children to push for it because mm -hmm. just statistically number wise, there's less parents of children with disabilities. So, um, you know, some of the benefits, well, uh, generally, statistically speaking, children do better in inclusive classrooms because of the way they're taught. And then there's more human bodies, there's more adults in the in the room, which helps everybody. And then generally, um, in these classrooms, when they're working really well, is there's multiple ways of teaching the same lesson. So like you described with Zed, you know, it's, um, you know, maybe math is taught with blocks. And at the same time, a different station will be taught with a on the blackboard. Um, when I went to school, there was a teacher, there was a blackboard and that was pretty much it. And then we had to look at a book and try to figure it out. <laughs> it feels like, you know, and I think that that paradigm is shifting where we're, um, no longer looking at teaching to the average student, but looking at teaching to the margins. So we spent some time, first of all, I have to say, I'm not an expert on education. I don't have what it takes to be a teacher. I think it's an incredibly hard job. And, um, when we did spend a lot of time in schools for the film, we spent particularly a school called the Henderson School in up in Boston. Um, in that school, 40% of children have disabilities. And of those children, 20% of them have significant disabilities, autism, Down syndrome, um, everything. So, uh, you know, the way they teach in that class is very different from a class that I've ever seen. And basically the classes are loud. First of all, the principal, Trisha Lampron will say, if the classroom is quiet, I think something's wrong because the classroom <laughs> should be loud. There's a lot of groups that are all learning differently. And um, one thing that I noticed is that between every class, the teachers would kind of meet in the hallway and have like little impromptu discussions, problem solving, figuring out how to, Mm -hmm. how to help this one child out what can they do to reach this child and I saw a sense of collaboration that was just really incredible um you know it was something walking into that school is just awe-inspiring first of all it's 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 the world I want to live in you know we talk a lot about how the, the classroom should kind of mirror the society you want to live in well when you walk into that school what you see is child children of all different types all different races ethnicities abilities hanging out, being friends, first and foremost. And wow, if we could replicate that in society, what a better world we'd live in, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that starts in the school. Um, and, you know, we, the models out there, um, you know, in fact, at the Henderson School, they invite anyone that'll come check it out just to, to see what they're doing. Um, and the other thing to note is that it's a public school. Um, I'm a, first of all, you know, 
I think teaching is one of the most important professions, unfortunately underpaid, but most important professions in the world because we're, we're teaching our next generation of doctors, scientists, engineers, all these people that make our country run starts in the classroom and, mm-hmm. and public, mostly public schools. And um, the second thing is I think public schools are important. You know, I, I'm a, I'm a product of a public school and uh, you know, Public schools give children opportunities that they wouldn't have otherwise. So I think it's really important to figure this out and to, to make our classrooms more inclusive. Yeah, I, lo- I love that you're talking about teaching to the margins instead of mm-hmm. the, the median. And, and I I don't know if that I've ever heard it said that way. I mean, I understand the concept and I believe in the concept. I think that's awesome. And I think that you know, I have two children, I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old and just teaching them things at home, they're very different learners. If they were in a classroom together, like I would have to do different things. I mean, my one daughter, my older daughter is very kinesthetic, very like she's jumping on a trampoline, banging a hand drum, like yelling out her six, like her multiplication tables, like counting by sixes. Like, and she got off the trampoline. She's like, I got it. Like I remember it all. And like, if I made her sit at a table and just write it, there was no way like that, that was getting in her brain. And then my younger daughter's just very like hands-on, everything had like very tactical, like she wants to touch everything and smell everything and everything has to be in like this art, you know, in in a very, very artsy, very hands-on. So I would imagine that, that teachers, even children without disabilities have to look at this and, and that the children are coming in from so many different backgrounds and home experiences and languages and all of these things where this would benefit all children, not just children with disabilities, right? So like mm-hmm. if teachers are listening or as we, as we continue to progress into, um, you know, education for our children, looking at different models, there's so many cool models out there Waldorf models and Montessori models and all of these things where you could pull and create, like you said, you know, there's, here's four stations. We're learning, we're learning addition. We're learning one concept, but this table is learning it this way. And this table is learning it this way. And being able to move around the classroom and figure out what way works for you. Like that to me, I haven't been in the classroom in a really long time. You know, I haven't been in, you know, for 10 plus years, 15, almost, yeah, 10 plus years. Um, but I would imagine if I went back now with the knowledge that I have, that this would benefit all all children. Um, so it's just it's it's cool to talk about this from the lens of children with disabilities and beyond. Like let's talk about it for all children because I think that it would it, it would make a difference for all of the learners that we have in in school. You're you're absolutely right. You know, I I, I had a hard time learning from a textbook. But man, I excelled when someone showed me a video on on history, you know, for example, um, I was able to retain that knowledge in a different way. And that's just one example, visual learners. Um, So yeah, what you're describing is exactly what universal design for learning is. And, you know, one example is universal uh, design for architecture, right? Um, We have wheelchair ramps to doorways now, um, but who, who uses those wheelchair ramps? Obviously people in wheelchairs, but you know what? I like to use them because it's easier to get up. And then the UPS delivery guy uses it because it's easier to deliver his packages. You know, so mm-hmm. if our classrooms can have that ramp for all learners, it's gonna be better for everyone. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. You, mm -hmm. And you mentioned the the benefits of having a child with a disability in in an in an inclusive classroom, in a classroom for general ed. Do you have any insight into the the benefits for the general ed students? I'd love parents to hear like why mm -hmm. should they be advocating for these children to be in the classrooms with their kids? Exactly. Well, from from my perspective, you know, the first and foremost thing is empathy. You just learn a sense of empathy that people learn differently, that people are different, and that you're fortunate to have what you do have. Um, and that's something you see in these inclusion classrooms is that children don't take things for granted. They help the children that need more help. Um, and it's really amazing. So, you know, one thing that we've encountered that's less spoken about is people wonder, well, wouldn't this dumb down the class if children with disabilities are in the class? Like, will they have to lower the bar of learning? And that's that's furthest from the case. And that that's what I meant when teaching to the margins is that you create a lesson plan that's for the most excelled learner, and then you modify it for the person that might have the biggest challenges. And the people in the middle really benefit from that because all the learning is there, but there's different ways to get to it. Um, the other the other main benefit that I see as a parent is that there's more resources in the classroom. So there's generally one or two special education teachers in the room, depending how big the class is. There's paras, paraprofessionals in the room. Mm -hmm. So there's just more help and more guidance mm -hmm. in the classroom. Um, and I, I think that's, one huge benefit. The other thing that's, um, you know, more important perhaps is the soft skills that are taught. You know, I think when we talk about education, we spend so much time talking about academics and achievements and testing and all these things. But what are you really learning in school? You're learning, you know, I always say I learned how to hustle in school. <laughs> you know, I, I learned how to, I learned how to make friends in school. I learned how to mm -hmm. speak to people. Mm -hmm. All these soft skills that are are learned, not necessarily taught, but just learned just by being around other children. Well, that's super important. And um, when a neurotypically developing child is around a child with disability, they're learning how to speak to that child. And they're mm -hmm. learning that that child is worth just as much to society as every other child, because you know what, they're pretty fun mm -hmm. to play with too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah. th those are some really important lessons that I, I think, I think parents could all buy into. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, regarding the concerns of like, will this dumb down the class? Um, it's certainly something I thought about, you know, if Emilio's in the classroom, will they have to lower the bar essentially? And the truth is that there's been a lot of studies on this. And um, out of 100 studies that we've looked at, or actually that we, we saw in Thomas Harris' paper, um, there was one study that showed that there was, it was the same, it was neutral, but 99 other studies show that all children did better in these classrooms. And I think that's largely what we're talking about is just the different teaching methods. Mm -hmm. what, what you're saying resonates a lot for me for... Like in particular, I had one year where I had a little boy in my class with autism who was low verbally um, and he had ADHD too. So it was like lots of energy and then trying to formulate like I was being taught myself like how to speak, um, which was slow yourself down, speak a little more simply and then repetitively. And I, and I didn't realize until later on, I'm like, wait, all the kids are benefiting from this. <laughs> like I'm telling them what I want. 
I'm saying it. I'm even singing it sometimes. And um, I'm instead of saying what I don't want, like I'm being clear and slow and like just being willing to say it more often. And instead of just being like the adult who will be like, oh, you guys, you listening to me talk. So I'm just going to talk on and on and on. <laughs> but being, yeah, I learned to be clear. And I also, during that year, I remember there were times where I was like, I just, I feel, I don't know. I, I, if I'm meeting the needs for all the kids, when I feel like my focus is on this one, but later on, after these kids went off to kindergarten, one of the students, his mom called and was like, thank you so much for all that you did. My son's excelling in math at school. And I'm like, well, he's in kindergarten. So cool. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm glad. And also, um, it was because of, even though I wasn't sure, like, I'm not focused on the education stuff that I was supposed to be doing, the kids still all benefited. And, and, and as I said, like, he was one of my greatest teachers that I've had, because learning from him taught me a lot going forward with my other students, like, oh, I'm going to repeat what I'm saying. And I'm going to tell them what I want instead of what I don't want. And it, I'm going to be more clear. And it helped relax me as a teacher, too. That's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. A visual that was coming up for me as you're talking, Olivier, was like a bowling alley and mm -hmm. with bumpers up and, you know, higher achieving students on one side and the higher need students on the other side. And then everyone else in the middle being able to float and bounce off the bumpers. And what what's coming through for me is is how many children are either underdiagnosed or just not presenting enough to be even considered to get a diagnosis of anything, whether it's a learning disability or ADHD, and are being, are kind of falling through the cracks in these, in these classrooms that are not inclusive, and how many are being kind of scooped back up with the net of inclusion and being able to float back and forth between. Um, so that to me is, is kind of just an additional, like you mentioned, benefit of having children with disabilities in the classroom with your kids, because if your kid is excelling in math, but, you know, having a difficult time with reading, and we have a lower level or an alternative way to learn this same reading concept, how cool is it for your kid to be able to scoot over and be able to do it a little bit slower um, or have a little more attention with it? So I'm all for it, obviously, but <laughs> um, I, yeah. No, I, I think that's, that's exactly, that's a great example, um, or a great, great way of looking at it. You know, Emilio was born with Down syndrome and people with Down syndrome wear their disability, you know, immediately they have Down syndrome. Um, sometimes autism isn't diagnosed till later if someone's, especially someone that, you know, is higher functioning. Um, I think, uh, there's a lot of children that have hidden disabilities that we never diagnose and, um, you know, that, that's, that is a real challenge, but if you can set up a situation where they could still excel, um, that's awesome. You know, that was one of our biggest challenges with Emilio is that when we first went into the education system, we left early intervention and at three, he enters preschool and, um, he gets a battery of evaluations. And from that, they determine, they're supposed to determine, what does Emilio need in the classroom? What kind of supports does he need? Um, well, for Emilio, it was all of them, really. Um, and we knew that. But they used that 
to really segregate him to put him in a special mm -hmm. class. And there's one thing we know about children with disabilities and especially children with Down syndrome is that they learn a lot by modeling. So if you put Emilio with a lot of other children or, you know, 12 other children that have the same challenges, um, so take speech, for example, if you put him with other students that don't speak, well, Emilio's never going to learn how to speak or he's not going to be motivated to try to speak. And um, that's one thing now he's in an inclusive kindergarten classroom and we've seen his speech develop in amazing ways. Um, so I think it's it's a big mistake to, to even start children in a segregated setting. And, you know, parents ask me, and especially parents of children with autism, um, they say, you know, we just don't think our child could handle the sensory experience of being in a large, loud classroom. And that's really legitimate, um, you know, thought. I will say, though, that th there are ways around it. Um, there are ways that they can accommodate those children. And one example that I like to talk about is the Henderson School, again, because I spent a lot of time there. They had a child with autism that was having a really hard time because it's an, they were in an old building and the rooms echoed and it was just really hard to hear. And the child was having a lot of sensory issues in the classroom. So over the summer, what they did is they took the ceiling and dropped it down two feet and put ceiling tiles to deaden the sound in the room. And that child suddenly was excelling, you know, and that's all it was. Um, it's just creating an environment. It's not that there was a lot of children. It's just that the room was too loud. So make the room quieter. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of pro problem solving that we need to do to, to really, um, allow our children to, to meet their, their potentials. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like being able to understand what your child needs as a parent and then being able to advocate for it in these classrooms. I mean, we had children that had like noise canceling headphones on and then when we needed their attention or they needed to pay attention, they were able to take them off. But if they were doing work or something where they would be more distracted or overwhelmed. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's an important point there. Um, Kristen, as we get to our kind of end time here, um, anything that we haven't touched on that you want to touch on, then we'll ask Olivia the same question. Um, I think just what we had brought up in the beginning, how do we, how, how, what recommendations do you have for parents to advocate for their kids? Because yeah, as we've said, some are little things that you don't wear on the surface. Others are more obvious um, things that needs and special, yeah, diversity with the kids. Um, what do you recommend for parents to advocate for their children? Yeah, so the, the first thing that I would say is to trust your gut. Nobody knows your child better than you. And that's a fact, you know, it, it's, it's just an absolute fact. Um, we drew the line in the sand. We wanted our son included and we fought and we fought and we fought and it finally kind of happened. And then it finally happened. Um, and you know what they, every year they kind of push to segregate him and we push back and it's, it's, it's a battle every year, but we know that Emilio belongs with other children. Emilio does not belong separated in a small room where he's hidden from everybody else just because he was born with Down syndrome. And, you know, so the first thing is to trust your gut and then to don't don't give up on your convictions. Um, that said, 
the other piece of advice I try to give is to not see it as a battle, see it as a collaboration. And that can be really hard sometimes because the truth is that everyone in the IEP room is there to help the child out. No one's there to hurt. No one gets into special education to hurt a child. <laughs> They're all there to help. But often there's just an old way of thinking, an old mindset that's kind of born out of this institutional era where children that are different need to be separate. Um, try to overcome that. Try to see a way past it. The truth is that the law says that every child should start in the least restrictive environment. Um, and it, it's pretty clear that every child should start in an inclusive setting and only then be pushed to a more restrictive environment. So at the very least, try it. You know, if, if your school district doesn't do it well, um, try to help them do it better, do your research, um, but don't give up. Don't give up if you believe in it. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, so our podcast is called The Purposeful Parent. And we talk to parents specifically around what it means to be a purposeful parent or an intentional parent. Um, and we end each episode with advice, a takeaway, an actionable to do for our listeners. So what is one thing that you do in your life um, to be more intentional, to be more present, to be more purposeful in what you're doing with um, your son? Well, I, I think I could speak for many parents of children with disabilities that it's easy to just always be thinking about the disability because you're always thinking about what can, you know, as I said earlier, like, what can you be doing better? Or is this the right class situation? And you're just always thinking about the disability, especially if it's something you're unfamiliar with. And um, what I try to do to be purposeful is that when I'm around Emilio to not be thinking about the disability, because the truth is I, I don't even see it anymore. You know, he's just Emilio to me and that's the way he is. So, you know, if we're in the backyard throwing the baseball, I'm not thinking about like um, his challenge to catch the ball. I'm just having fun with him and trying to be in the moment and and playing at his level. So, um, you know, I'd say from a purposeful standpoint is to just be in the moment and enjoy your child first and foremost, because, you know, he's, he's about to turn seven and wow, seven years goes fast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can attest to that. <laughs> um, where can our listeners go as well to learn more about you and also learn more about Forget Me, the Forget Me Not documentary? Um, is it available to watch too? Yeah, so right now the documentary mm -hmm. is available on um, Amazon. It's available on Tubi, which for free, um, just mm -hmm. with some advertisement. And uh, the full name of the movie is Forget Me Not, Inclusion in the Classroom, because um, there's a couple of films called Forget Me Not. And uh, you can go to forgetmenotdocumentary.com to get those links. And on the website, there's a lot of resources. Um, a lot of the research we use to make the movie is available on the website. Um, a lot of the things I talked about today actually are on the website. So there's a lot of resources for parents. And then, you know, I, I'd encourage parents, um, we have a, a way that parents can set up free community screenings, or if they're larger, it's like a small licensing fee to the distributor, um, but you can set up community screenings and the distributor will help those because I, I think the way we get to a more inclusive education system is to help parents, all parents of all children understand the benefits and understand why it's so important. So I hope the the movie helps do that. So mm -hmm. I hope if 
people watch the movie and they like it to share it and to try to set up screenings for the movie. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the Purposeful Parent Podcast. We had a really great time talking with our guests today and hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Make sure to check out the show notes to get more information on today's guests and to check out what they are up to. To learn more about Melissa and Kristen, follow The Purposeful Parent on Instagram. You can also check out what Melissa is up to by following Inner Architect on Instagram. And to keep up with Kristen, follow Language Ninjas on Instagram. We'd love to hear how you are choosing to purposefully parent, so please feel feel free to reach out and say hi.